My name is Father Ryan O'Neill. I'm the vocation director here for the Archdiocese of Denver. Father Brian invited me to say Masses this morning here, so I'm happy to be with you. Just a small warning. Towards the end of my homily today, I will be speaking and making some comments about Pride Month. So I hope you adults all understand what that means. So if you have children and you don't want them to be around for that conversation, feel free to do what you got to do as an adult, just in case you don't want any uncomfortable questions. I will not be super explicit, and I will try not to be offensive. So hopefully we can make it through this. First half the homily, no problem, though. <laughs> In the first readings today, we heard about God taking a little branch, planting it on top of a mountain, and making it a big, beautiful tree. And then the birds come and rest and sit on those branches and rest in the shade of that tree. For those of us who have faith to interpret the Bible, we understand that the church is that tree. Big, beautiful tree with branches all over the world, and it provides shade for the birds who come to sit in these branches that we call pews. So I just want to just enjoy the shade with you for a minute. I don't think we do that enough. Let's just enjoy the shade. What is the shade that the Catholic Church is providing for you and me? Have you ever thought about that? What do you love about being Catholic? That's the shade. Truth. We believe in absolute truth. We believe in objective truth. We know that relativism is wrong. We know that there isn't a whole bunch of little truths out there for everybody to do whatever that H-E double hockey sticks they want. We know there's absolute truth because God is one and God is real. And he's invited you into his family. He's drawn you close to his heart so you can relish the fact that truth is a person. It's not a statement. It's not a factoid. It's not an equation. It's not something you and I have to prove or defend from the bad guys. No. Truth is a person and we know him. Isn't that comfortable? <sighs> it's nice. It's just nice to rest in that beautiful branch of the church. What else is beautiful? I'm just going to go through the transcendentals for those of you who are wondering, so it's predictable. Beauty. I've never seen beauty anywhere else like I've seen in the Catholic Church. One of my favorite churches is, is the old cathedral in Montreal, Canada. Now, Canada is not the most Catholic country, I know. But this cathedral is amazing. It was built in like the 1600s, 1700s, and the, the altar, the main altar, is the size of this wall. And it's all hand-carved dark wood, like the color of these pews. And it's so human, human realism. It's got saints and angels, the Blessed Virgin Mary. And then behind it, in between, the, behind the wood, the wall is painted this crazy aquamarine with gold highlights, and there's no lights except for behind the altar, so it feels like you're underwater in a submarine. It's amazing. It's the most beautiful church I've ever been to, subjectively speaking, although there is objective truth, right? So this church just touched my heart so deeply. The other cool thing about this church, there's no side windows. No light comes from the side. There's only windows on the roof, which makes it feel like a submarine even more. It's really cool. But I mean, just look at this church. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. The marble, the blue, the gold writing. You can just look at this and relax. 
Just rest your eyes on the beauty of that tabernacle with the silver and gold, the roses around it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the beauty that you give to us in your church. And let us just rest in that shade. Goodness. Goodness. Who here doesn't want to be a good person? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I want to be evil. Okay. So, goodness. We love goodness. We're attracted to good people. Nobody's perfect, but we're attracted to goodness. We're attracted to moral goodness. We're attracted to goodness in athletics and in intelligence. We're attracted to goodness and, and excellence, right? And the church offers us that moral goodness, that there is a right and a wrong, and it wants to help us do what's right. The church is offering us laws, not to make you feel bad for doing wrong, but to say, hey, look, here's the good way. Go that way. We'll, we will help you. We're the church. We're God. We're Jesus. We're the Blessed Virgin Mary. We're all the angels and saints. We want you to be good like God is good. That's attractive. My heart longs to be good. I know that I'm not a good man. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have lots of faults. But when I sense goodness, I just, my heart sets on fire. And I say, gosh darn it, that's what I want. And when I die, that's what I want you all to say. Ryan O'Neill was a good man. Sounds cheesy, but that's what I want. I want to be good, deeply good. And the church is proposing the fruit of goodness to us. What else? The last thing I'll say as we bask in these shady branches is mercy. Mercy. Mercy is the most beautiful shade that this tree offers us because no one here is worthy to be sitting in this tree. None of you. You're all sinners, and he's perfect. I'm a sinner, and he's perfect. And it's only because of his mercy, the shade of his mercy, that he invites us to rest on the branches of this tree. That's a beautiful tree. Rest on the branches of the cross. Rest in the mercy. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you're a bad mom. You're a bad dad. You make mistakes. You say the wrong thing. You're a bad son. You're a bad... Yeah, we know that. Get over it. Don't be surprised by evil. Come rest in the shade. Come rest in the shade of these branches. Eat the fruit of his body and blood. Dang, I love being Catholic. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Now let's go on to the mustard seed in the gospel today. Shifting gears. The mustard seed is a very interesting image because it's very small. It's very small. And you know what's not small? You know what's really popular and a big deal right now? The Archdiocese of Denver. We are not small. We're a big deal. And I'm afraid that one of our temptations as a diocese is pride. Why? Why? I'm going to go through the litany that we all know, and guess what? This is not critical of the litany. This is critical of pride. I live in the Archdiocese of Denver, and if you didn't know, we have focus. Oh yeah, if that's not enough, we have the Augustine Institute. Oh yeah, just in case you didn't know, we have one of the best seminaries in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. 
Once again, I love Focus. I love the Augustine Institute. I love the seminary. I work at the seminary. <laughs> I work there. But what I'm critical of is that we sit on our laurels. Where are you? I'm in the Archdiocese of Denver. <laughs> okay, great. Now, mustard seed, mustard seed, right? What would the mustard seed be saying? Let's remember how Focus started. How did Focus begin? Curtis Martin and his homies in a cabin cooking up some scheme to evangelize the church, and it worked. Mustard seed. How did the Augustine Institute begin? Tim Gray was working with some biblical school that was kind of good, and he was kind of making it better, and he thought, hey, let's just make a real school, and it worked. The seminary was going down the crapper. It was one of the worst seminaries. Cardinal Stafford shut it down, shut it down, waited for the field to go fallow, and he started it up again when Shapu came. And now, bada bing, bada boom, we got a seminary that's great. Mustard seed. You see, people come to Denver because they think we're great, and we are. But we cannot sit on our laurels. We need to embrace the attitude of the mustard seed. We need to realize that the Archdiocese of Denver is only great when we embrace the mustard seed, because that's where grace is at work. Grace is at work at the highest levels of bureaucratic institution. It does work there. But much less, obviously, than it does with the mustard seed. So instead of trying to climb the ladder at Focus, or climb the ladder at Augustine Institute, or climb the ladder at the seminary or the Archdiocese of Denver, why don't you just pray for humility and start to understand the mustard seed in your life? Where is grace insanely at work and inviting you to do something very little today? And that's why I love Mother Teresa. Do little things of great love. That's what makes the Archdiocese of Denver great. Not the fact that we had World Youth Day in 1993. Mustard seed. And then one more thing about the mustard seed. Objectively speaking, the church is shrinking, even in Denver. The church is shrinking. We are getting smaller. You and I need to stop worrying about that and being like, oh my gosh, we're failing. No, it's okay. We can embrace the mustard seed. And that means we need to relinquish our desire for worldly power. We need to win back the Senate, Father Ryan. No, we don't. Who cares about the Senate? We're the mustard seed. But Father Ryan, we need to stand up for our rights. That sounds like Jesus Christ. Embrace the mustard seed. But Father Ryan, they'll persecute us. Great. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of his name. Embrace the mustard seed. Don't worry if the church is getting smaller. You just focus on the mustard seed in your life. You do little things with great love. That's what converted the Roman Empire. The Christians didn't petition Caesar and say, we want pro-life legislation. They didn't do that. Did you ever hear about that in the first century? They were having abortions then too. Never happened. They focused on the mustard seed, and what happened? Rome converted over a thousand-year period. This ain't going to happen easily, people. But it won't happen if we sit on our laurels expecting that the world should conform to our standards. Ain't going to happen.
Okay. Shifting gears for the last time. And I'll make this as obvious as possible. I've noticed a lot of rainbow flags around lately, haven't you? Right? So you adults in the room know where we're going now. I want to talk to you about same-sex attraction. Because it's not a negligible problem anymore. It is a major movement in our world. And I bet every single one of us here knows somebody or is related to somebody who has same-sex attraction or struggles with it. I do. So let me start off with the obvious, just in case you don't know the obvious. We love sinners and we hate sin. And for someone with same-sex attraction, the orientation itself is not a sin. The actions that flow from it are sinful, which is why we can never agree with marriage for people with same-sex attraction. We're cool with whatever orientation you have or struggle with or are dealing with. Not a problem, because guess what? I'm lustful. I'm lustful. I happen to be heterosexually lustful, but just because I have the desire doesn't mean the desire is wrong, only acting out is wrong. We all got that? That's basic. That's basic. So don't, don't tell me, Father Ryan, you hate gays. I don't. I hate sin. Aha. Uh -huh. That's what I hate. Because who hates sin? Jesus hates sin. I'm no different than Jesus. Now, what I want to focus on is how do we love the sinner? How do we love the sinner? Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of my brethren, you do to me. The least of my brethren. And Mother Teresa said, there's greater poverty in America than in India. What's she talking about? Huh? I wonder what she's talking about. Huh? What do you think she's talking about? I don't see any naked people on the streets. That's because she's talking about people with same-sex attraction and a whole host of other things that I could talk about today, but I won't. We're focusing on one thing. They are poor. And they're crying out for help. They're crying out for love. They're looking for love in all the wrong places, just like you have and just like I have. How are we, as disciples of Christ, responding to that cry for love? Or are we ignoring it? Or are we repulsed by it? Or are we afraid that if we associate with it, I'll be contaminated or it'll look bad? We got to get over that. We got to get over it. Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of my brothers, you do to me. And then, if we're going to begin to approach this subject as a church, this issue, with our family, our friends, our acquaintances, our neighbors, we stand strong in the conviction that if you come to Jesus, you come to Jesus on his terms. Not like Father James Martin. Sorry, Father James, you're wrong. We're not going to be flexible with the rules just to make people feel good. We're not going to do that, Father James Martin. You're wrong. Oh, but Father James Martin, you are right that we need to love them better. Father James Martin is right. We as Catholics need to love them better, those who claim to have same-sex attraction. 
Because right now, they see us as the enemy. And they don't want to come in here. They don't think there's anything for them here. And we invite them through friendship, through our family relationships, through love, and true tolerance. I'm going to use the word tolerance. What is tolerance? Tolerance is when you allow an evil for the hope of a good. Tolerance isn't letting evil do what evil wants. It's to allow an evil in the hope of a good. That's what Jesus does with you, you sinner. Jesus tolerates you every minute of every day. Because all you do is sin. And he's allowing you to be evil in hope for a greater good. One last thought around this before I go to the next point. If we are going to invite our brothers and sisters to know and love Jesus Christ, we have to admit that we cannot make extraordinary demands upon them. We cannot say, you have to be 100% chaste before you can come to know Jesus. What? None of you were 100% chaste before you came to know Jesus. You see, I don't think you can be chaste until you're in this church. I don't think chastity is possible until you are in the church with Jesus. So we need to let go of whatever fences we've put up around chastity. That's never how it's worked. We don't demand people to convert and then become Catholic. No, we invite them to know Jesus and then they convert. That's how it worked with you, didn't it? That's how it worked with me. And then chastity, which is the goal for everyone, including married people. You married people can't have that much fun, just so you know. You gotta have chastity. You gotta have chastity. And we call the people with same-sex attraction just like we call the people with heterosexual attraction to the same level of chastity. Now finally, I have a, a moral theologian friend who gave me an interesting piece of advice. He's very traditionalist. He likes the Latin mass. He his, his wife and his daughters, they love to wear the head coverings. Very traditionalist. But he thinks about issues all the time. And he was thinking about same-sex attraction in the church. And he said it's very healing for a person with same-sex attraction to have a heterosexual friend who will not promote their lifestyle. Very healing were the words he said. For a person with same-sex attraction to have a heterosexual friend who genuinely likes them, who will not promote their lifestyle. Maybe we should all begin to think about that and stop worrying about how we're losing the Senate or the legislation or whatever it is on the bureaucratic level and start focusing on the people in our lives and the mustard seed grace that's available to each one of us every day.